Good morning. How are you all doing? I want to thank the musicians for leading us in worship. And those of you on the sound desk, making sure everything goes well. Also, want to, um, as the kids go, went out there and there's a beautiful fence put out. Um, I want to thank um, Gordon, the three Gs, Greg and Gary, and poor Glenda for putting up with them. They have done a tremendous work there. <laughs> Thank you for those who are watching online as well, and those who can't make it this morning uh, for various reasons, and can still stay at home and watch online, and those of you who are watching, in fact, across the world, um, watching us right now, um, God bless you guys as you uh, watch us online, and I pray this morning that God would stir your hearts and bless your hearts as we continue in worship and in word. Let's pray and come in this word. Our Father, we thank you this morning that we can come in the name of Jesus. We can gather together to worship you and to have fellowship with you. And Father, we pray that this morning as we look to you, as we come under your word, we pray, Father, that you would speak to us. Lord, we open our hearts to you. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us and minister to us. And Lord, that we would know that gathering together, that coming together here, as a family of God, as you worship together, and those at home, and those around the world, we pray, Father, there will be that connectedness and help us to understand that there's no boundaries with you, Father. So we, Lord, come this morning to worship you. As you open your word, minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're looking at um, um, devoted followers of Jesus, and we saw last Sunday that we did the first aspect of it. Um, so this morning we're following up with the second one. Peter had just finished giving his first sermon. And how many people did respond? 3,000. And it's, some of the historians and Bible scholars say that Jerusalem during that time, during the feast time, was somewhere around 700 to 100,000 people. There was a large number of people in Jerusalem for the feast. And this is just after the, the Pentecost. And so when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and he gives that word, we don't know how many were there in that crowd. We don't know the total size of the group that was listening, but a very large number of people were listening and did understand Peter's message. And 3,000 followed through with repentance. What a sight that must have been. Luke gives us a glimpse of what the early church looked like. This church has just been born. And these new believers quickly recognize four basic elements that focus on uh, of their lives. And we see that there, in order for the church to grow, they zoomed in with the 3,000 people there. I mean, all of a sudden, 3,000 people in a church, that's big. 
And here they said, okay, let's zoom in on these four areas. This is what we're going to concentrate on in order for us to grow, in order for the church to grow and develop. They looked at apostles' teaching, and this is from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Apostles' teaching. And the fellowship. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. Breaking of bread and prayer. They decided that we will look at these fundamental things in the church that would help us to grow. So these early Christians set as an example for us to follow. These basic elements of church life is what we're looking at in this series. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 41 and 42. We're looking at this whole aspect of fellowship. So in this says, those who accepted this message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to the number that day. And they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. And that's what we saw in the figure of, uh, of the slide of the a tree and the roots and things like that. So when you think of this early church, this crowd that's coming in, and if you say 3,000 in Australian context, it's a big church. It's a big church. I think it will be one of the largest churches. A big church. Now, so when you think of this early church, what thoughts come into your mind? What are the words that you come in and think of this early church? Yep, anyone? Love? Learning? Sharing? Commitment? Joyful? There's so many words that we can put together to describe. This church just began just like that. And the Bible also says in this chapter, the Lord added to their number daily. So every day people are coming to this church. What made them? What, what was the secret? What was behind this church growth here? And again, as we saw, teaching of the word. Fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, these were the vital elements of this early church. Now, if we were to describe in three words the early church, what would that be? I know you put a lot of words, but looking at the scripture passage, there are three words that describe the church. And those of you watching online, you can turn your Bibles to that, or if you're on your iPhone, iPads, Android, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Luke, who is writing this letter of the book of Acts, he's a historian. He wants to carefully put things. He's also a physician. So he thinks through these issues and he puts down carefully. He puts down three words to describe this church. And he starts off in the, we see that in the next slide. They devoted themselves. He starts off with these three letters. They devoted themselves. It's one of the most inspiring and dynamic description of the early church. Luke starts off this way. They're the first ever words written about the church. First words written about the church. They devoted themselves. One of the translations, I think it's a... Um, a New Living 
uh, translation says, the believers themselves. Who are these people? They themselves, the believers themselves, were devoted. And I, friends, as I was preparing for the sermon, I just couldn't get past this. It's interesting, it says that they devoted themselves. Not just they were curious about it, but they devoted themselves. Now, how many of them? Oh, the whole church. 3,000 of these people devoted themselves. The Greek word for this devoted means to, uh, to join, to adhere to, to be ready, to give attention to, to be faithful, to be devoted to, to spend much time together, and to be fully committed. This is what they were doing, the early church. They were focused. They were adhered to. They were ready. They were giving attention to. They were faithful to. And they spent much time together to be fully committed. This was what the early church was doing. And in, in the original, in the Greek, this word is in present continuous tense, which means they, it was not just one-off event. It was day to day and day after. Not one going event. It was day, after, day to day event. They committed themselves not for just one day, a week, but day to day after day. They committed themselves for the Lord's work. The believers themselves were devoted 100%. No wonder everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done. And you should look at the context, friends. This was a small church in the Roman kingdom. And the Romans thought, who are these crazy guys? Who is this bunch of people who is participating in communion? Drinking this juice. And they, in fact, thought this early Christian, this group was cannibals. Eating bread, drinking juice. And they thought they were crazy. And then they couldn't understand. They were calling each other brothers and sisters. They thought this was a crazy group. And, and in fact, they soon were persecuted. But the church continued to grow in the midst of persecution and being misunderstood. How encouraging it is for us today, friends. Christianity is being misunderstood. People outside think Christians are a crazy bunch of people. So was this church. And it began to grow in that context. And here were the believers themselves who were devoted to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. There was no option. And last Sunday, we saw how they were devoted to the Word, the Word and the Spirit. And this morning, we will look at the second aspect, the fellowship. So what is fellowship? We have lots of images that come into our mind when we think of fellowship, isn't it? Think of hanging out together for a coffee, for lunch. We think of fellowship as just getting together and talking. Just socializing. But fellowship is much more than that. It's more than getting together for coffee or something like that. It's more than that. The word fellowship, again, comes from the Greek word koinonia. Now, Alexander the Great, conquering that part of the world, he wanted to make Greek language a common language. 
They call it koinia. And so we get the word koinonia, which can be defined as holding something in common. And this word, koinonia, is used 20 times in the New Testament. So it is an important, important one. So let's not forget that this church at Jerusalem was growing quickly. Already a big church, 3,000 members. They, di they didn't have a massive building. So this is where they could meet in. So it was a church that was scattered. They met in, 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 uh, in, in the temple and then they met in homes. Acts chapter 2 verse 46. It says every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere heart. So they met in the temple courts. There was no church. There was no church building. So temple courts, they still used to meet in the temple courts. And then during the week, they would meet in homes. They would meet together. Probably just like what we have a more developed one as home groups. So this is what fellowship looked like. On a Sabbath, they would go to the temple courts. And then on the weekday, they would meet together. And how important it is, friends, that we would sign up for a home group. We will be soon putting up different home groups that we have in this fellowship. So you can link in and have fellowship with people during the week. And there are several home groups that are taking place at the moment. So we will put out the list. We will put out there so you all can see where it is. And if you live somewhere close by, plug into it and see the blessing that we would, uh, would enjoy. So they met in temple courts and in homes. So what did this fellowship look like? In today's term, this fellowship used in, is, is used for various associations. You talk to an academic, he will say an academic fellowship. For instance, um, it's like the fellowship of the Royal College of Surgeons. They call them fellowship of the Royal College of Surgeons. If you're a Tolkien fan, you'll know about the fellowship of the rings. It describes the society's clubs where people in like-mindedness shared. But the biblical use of fellowship is much more than common usage. And Luke gives us a glimpse of what fellowship was in the early church. So we're going to dig out this verse more and see what, it, what fellowship is all about. So we know one thing that they're devoted to. They continually devoted to fellowship. This means fellowship was a priority. It was one of the main objectives to meet together. And share in common. Acts chapter 2 was 44 and 45. It says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possession and shared the money with those in need. What is this verse saying? And all the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. Oh, they sold the properties and possessions and shared the money with those in need. This is what Luke is writing about the early church. What are we to make out of this? Luke is not telling us the church has practiced Christian communism. This is not a government-forced living. This was a voluntary effort of the people to take care of one another. Voluntary. There was no force or coercion in this. 
Luke was describing a voluntary sharing of possession on the need basis. The simple principle here is that Christians need each other. And where they saw the need, they would go out there and help out. We see nothing like a state-run enterprise in the book of Acts. In fact, in the history of the early church, we see congregation meetings in private homes. And, per and persons still in possession of their private properties. Later on, we find Apostle Paul in the, in, the, in the same book, book of Acts. Luke tells us, Apostle Paul went to different places. He stayed in homes. He started churches in homes. So they, they were homes. They were private homes. People had these homes. So what, does, what do they mean when they sold their property and possessions? Number one, there is no evidence that the first Christians abolished private properties. There's no record of it. Luke doesn't mention anything of such sort that they uh, abolished private pro pro properties. We see nothing like a state-run enterprise. In the history of the early church, congregation met. They still had their homes. They still met together. Secondly, the distribution of, pos of possession in Acts was not by force or coercion, but they chose freely and voluntarily to do it. They chose to do it. They saw a need and say, we got more than three or four properties. We'll sell one to meet that need. They did it voluntarily as they felt that need. The early Christians did not liquidate the material possessions or resources to pull in their money. They did not do that. Rather, when there was a need, and those with material resources met that need from time to time. In Acts chapter 4, we read that from time to time, when there was a need, they met that need. The expression, everything in common, was used to describe the radical generosity in the early church. Everything in common. That was the generosity. And I think, friends, we learned a lesson from you from the early church of this aspect of generosity. They did not hoard things up, but they were generous. And this generosity is seen in the early church. Everything in common. It showed the love of the Christians, not the law among the Christians. I'll say it again. Everything in common showed the love of Christians, not the law among the Christians. Indeed, the church was sacrificially giving to one another in their own account, in their own uh, uh, voluntarily, in their own will. When they saw the need, they would come up. Who? They themselves, the believers themselves. When they saw the need, they would go out there and meet the need. They wanted to. They were caring for one another. And we see, friends, this whole aspect of one another is so important in the Bible. We see them all over the New Testament of one anotherness. It's a powerful example of what fellowship should look, should look like. And we find this in the Bible. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, They were devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony, harmony with one another. Accept one another. Serve one another in love. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another towards love and good deeds. Offer hospitality to one another. Love one another. This aspect of one anotherness, one another, shows us the togetherness. One another. And friends, as a church, let us be devoted to one another. As reverse church, let's honor one another. As a church, let's live in harmony with one another. As a church, let's accept one another. As a church, let us serve one another in love. And as reverse church, let's be kind and compassionate to one another. And as reverse church, let's encourage one another. As a church, let us spur one another towards love and good deeds. And as reverse church, let's offer hospitality to one another. And as a church, as reverse church, let's love one another. That's a high calling, isn't it? As a church. And when we put rivers in front of it, it comes a lot more stronger. That is what true biblical fellowship should look like. What does a biblical fellowship mean for us today? Fellowship is an important part of our faith. Coming together to support one another. It helps in our, our ex to share our experience. And we can learn from one another and we gain strength. There is something in coming together, in being togetherness. I'm going to look at five things that's going to help us in togetherness. Number one, fellowship gives us a picture of God. When we come together in true fellowship, it's like the church reflecting God. That's a strong statement, friends. In fact, I was challenged. When we come together for fellowship, it's like the church reflecting God. And no wonder the Bible tells us we are to be salt and light in the community. We reflect God. In Christ Jesus, we are set, set apart to belong to God. In the same way, we belong to the body of Christ, which is the church. And that's a passage that, that Sally read this morning. As a body, we belong to one another. We belong to each other in unity and service to bring God's kingdom in this world. We make gospel more visible to a dark world and all of us together show the glory of God. Romans chapter 12, 4 to 5. For just as each of us are, has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belong to all others. Now if you notice, this is not the, word, the scripture passage Sally read. This is from Romans. You see, it's, it's, it's there, being one as a body. It's so important, friends. If I, if I were to ask one of you, can you name five people, those who are st uh, sitting around you? That's a challenge. 
I know some of us have been coming for a long number of years, and yet we don't know who's the other person. I'm guilty of it too. I can remember the faces, but not the names. <laughs> we all do that. <laughs> Let's make it a point to get to know one another. Fellowship is not like a club where we form cliques and get to know the small cliques. But it's a body. It's one another. We get to know one another. It's a challenge for us friends as a church. Now, a church of 3,000 could do it. So can we. So fellowship gives a picture of God. In a dark world, we make the gospel more visible through our lives. Secondly, fellowship provides encouragement. We all have bad moments, don't we? We all have ups and downs. Whether it's a loss of loved one, failed exam, money problems, a crisis of faith, or whatever, we can find ourselves down. And it is in these low times that we see the importance of fellowship. Someone comes along, puts a hand around them, and says, well, cheer up, I'm with you. And friends, what an assurance that is when someone gets along next to you when you're feeling low and said, I'm with you. That's the strength of fellowship. That we can get along someone and say, I'm with you. It does not happen anywhere else, friends, except in the church. It doesn't happen in a club or anywhere. But a church should be a, signing, a shining example of this. Providing encouragement. Getting alongside next to someone and said, I'm with you. Spending time with other believers can lift others up. It helps us to keep our eyes on God, and God works through fellowship of other believers in dark times. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us think of ways to motivate one another in acts of love and good works. Think of ways that you can motivate one another. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some of you do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near, isn't it? Especially now, as the day of the Lord is drawing near. Number three, fellowship reminds us that we are not alone. When I was doing the Bible college in India, doing my bachelor's, the final year students, um, in fact, after I finished uh, my studies again, uh, the Assemblies of God said, we're going to declare Nepal as a missions field. Nepal was a closed country. It was, Christians were persecuted. So the Assemblies of God decided they're going to have 10 years of gospel sowing, of preaching in very remote areas. So they're looking for a team, and I was part of the team of young people who could go across. So we went to this remote, remote areas, and what a pleasant opportunity was, Francis, to just walk along, trek along the, the foothills of Himalaya mountains, going to these remote villages. Now, they were in these villages, 
uh, happened uh, when, when, when people in the cities, were, when they knew there were Christians in the city, they were being persecuted. Rocks were thrown on their homes, and they, their properties were confiscated. So they all decided to leave the cities and head off into the mountains and form their own Christian communities. And they were isolated in those areas. So we as a team would get to the Bible colleges, get some books, some aid and uh, medical aid, and trek in these areas, high up in the foothills of Himalayas. And there's some of the villages that we used to rock up late at night, walking, we, we used to come up, and the village chief would come and meet us. And as soon as he knows that we're Christians, and we know they're Christians, all the hospitality, hospitality flowed through. They would give them, they would sacrifice their own homes, and they would accommodate us in their homes. We would all be together in their bedrooms. And one night, I was sleeping in one of those uh, wooden um, bed kind of a thing. Woke up in the morning, it was all white around me. I suddenly thought I was in heaven. And these were people who would offer whatever they ate, we would eat with them. And the kids would walk two, three hours to a school nearby on the foothills of Himalayas. It was a fantastic opportunity to meet those Christians. Strangers! All of a sudden, we become one. We didn't even have, we never have seen them before. They become one just because we are Christians called by one God. We become one. And what a joy it was, friends, to know that here were strangers who would welcome us in. We would stay there for days, encouraging them, sharing the gospel, sitting with them, talking with them. My pulpit would be sometimes a buffalo. I would lean against a buffalo and share God's word. And the tail would go whipping past once in a way. <laughs> it was such a joy to be with them and to work with them. High up in those mountains as we go into their homes and fellowship with them. Coming together with other believers in worship and conversations helps us to remind, it reminds us that we are not alone in this world. We are not alone in this world. And friends, you can travel miles and miles across the other side of the world. And you met a Christian family, a Christian church, and you begin to connect. You feel the oneness. There are believers everywhere. And it's amazing that no matter where you are in the world, when you meet another believer, you suddenly feel like home. You suddenly feel like home. Even though they might be strangers, you feel like home. I'll show you a funny story. We were walking on this uh, rope bridge, and I was near this one of those peaks. It was a clear day. I could see the Everest, the peak. Set up this camera to take a picture of this. I took a beautiful picture of this, of the peak, snow-covered. And then as we were walking, uh, we had this Sherpa guides who would carry our belongings and walk, and that was the duty. They said that no, that's an honor for us to carry your luggage, so they used to do that. And uh, we used to cross one by one across this bridge. It was just by rope. And so one would go across and wait for another person to go across. And this person who was carrying my baggage, he had my camera too, and he went across. It was those days when you didn't have digital camera. You had those things. And um, when I got across the other side, he had opened my camera and was pulling out the reel. <laughs> it exposed everything. I had lost everything. So I asked him, why did you do that? 
And so later on I heard that a team that had come previously before had a Polaroid camera. And you take a photo, it comes out. So he told me, he said, your camera is constipated. <laughs> and nothing was coming out, so he opened it up to... <laughs> You feel like you're at home. <laughs> you meet another believer. That's why God's fellowship is so important. He wanted us to come together. He wanted us to get to know one another. And we are not alone, friends. Fellowship reminds us that we are not alone. Number four, fellowship helps us to grow. Coming together is a great way for each of us to grow in faith. Reading our Bibles, praying, is a great way to get closer to God. But to share experiences, to encourage one another, to be with one another, to stand with somebody else, it helps us to grow. It helps us to grow. There is something that happens when a friend who comes next to you and says, I know you're going through a difficult time, but this is what the Word of God says. Just to encourage when we come together in fellowship, we learn from each other. Sometimes unknowingly and sometimes deliberately, we get to know one another. First Corinthians chapter 12, 19 to 21, how strange a body would be if it had only one part. Uh, my imagination went, went weird as I was reading this. Imagine a face having just one eye in the middle. How weird. <laughs> yes, there are many parts but only one body. I can never say to the hand, I don't need you. A head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, vice versa, vice versa. A feet cannot say to the head, I don't need you. It's dead. We need each other. We need one another. And when you go home, friends, read this passage again that Sally read this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 19 to 21. How important it is that though we are different, we are diverse, yet there is unity in diversity. That is the body of Christ that helps us to grow. We being different, we all in one way or the other, with different gifts that we have, we help each other and we grow. And that's what the early church grew. No wonder God added to the church every day. Number five, fellowship makes us stronger. No matter where you are in faith, fellowship gives us strength. Sometimes in our faith, we might have doubts and insecurities. This is where fellowship with other believers can come in and, and can give you strength that comes from God. It also gives you a chance to grow and learn from others. We live in a cold-hearted world. Spending time in fellowship reminds us there are still a lot of people who care and who loves us. Just an example. When someone has lost a loved one, just to go and sit next to them means a world of things. You don't have to speak a word. Just being there speaks volumes. The fellowship of loving and caring one another strengthens us. Matthew chapter 18, 19 to 20. Again, truly I tell you, 
if two of you will not agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. I know the scripture can mean a lot in other ways as well, but in this context this morning, where two or three are gathered, there I am. And God is in our midst, friends. And as a fellowship, as we fellowship with one another, we grow strong. I can't help but thinking of this Muir Wood Park. How many of you have been there? In San Francisco. We as a family, we decided to take a hike in this Muir Woods. It's a historic forest north of San Francisco, California. You find this giant Sikoa trees. It's the world's largest trees, huge trees. We decided to go for a walk, and there were other people as well. But 20 minutes in a walk, there was another group that was hurriedly coming out. So we asked them, what's going on? They said, there's a mountain lion lurking somewhere nearby. We heard on the radio, and oh man, we turned around and we were off. We didn't want to go, go ahead. <laughs> we didn't know what, whether it was there or not, but we heard this news, a mountain lion there. We were out from the place. So we went to a coffee shop nearby, and we had this coffee, and just were looking at this park, beautiful trees. They grow between 50 to 80 meters in height, an average of about 6 to 7 meters in diameter. It is estimated that the average age of sequoia trees can range from 800 to 1,000 years old. And some may be as 1,500 years old in age. So you can Google them up and, and you can see the details of this, of these huge trees. Now, when you think of these trees, you might be thinking, well, they have deep roots inside to make these trees go so tall. It's amazing that to think of that they're able to withstand torrential rain, strong winds, seismic earthquakes of California. And you would assume that they would tell uh, that they, they would have deep root system that would make them stand to withstand all this. However, the roots of many of the sequoia trees are only three feet deep. It surprised me too. And at the most, at the most, they are 15 feet deep. But most of the roots are shallow. What makes them stand? What makes them withstand this torrential rains and the shakings and, uh, 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 and the storms? It's the interlocking root system of these trees that provides stability and strength. They are stronger together. They literally hold each other up. And friends, Jesus designed the church to be a vessel of caring for one another. It's a family where members of the family should genuinely love one another, care for one another, hold each other up so we can grow strong like these mighty trees. Hold each other up. And from what we can read, every person in the church was active in this early church, were active and caring for one another. It's not just a task of just one or few people or a team. It's the task of everyone. And just as we read, they themselves were devoted Every single person in the church should be committed to fellowship of loving and caring for one another. In conclusion, will you make fellowship important? Will you be committed 
to this kind of a fellowship. And here are some practical steps that you can take next. Call someone during the week. Call someone and talk to them. Visit people. Especially if you haven't seen them for a while. Find out what's going on with them. Encourage them. Pray with them. Help them. Send an encouraging email. Or Facebook. A text. Encourage one another. All the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Most of us already do this. Invite each other. For dinners, for coffee. And it goes a long way, friends, as, as a fellowship. Get to know one another, not just in our small groups, but others as well. Get to know one another. Stand next to someone. Give someone a call. Say, how are you doing? Goes a long way. Caring for one another. And I know on Thursday morning, the Morton Bay does a fantastic job of caring for people in the need and people who come around and helping out. Just standing by with someone to know that here's a church that cares. Shall we pray? Our Father, this morning as we come to you, Lord, we know we are stronger together. Forgive us, Lord, if we are not devoted. We are not devoted to fellowship. Forgive us, God, if we have let this one go past and help us, Lord, as believers, as your children, as you as a father, and as a Holy Spirit as we lean on you and depend on you as a church for your leading and for direction. Lord, lead us during the week. Speak to us. Put some name into our mind, Holy Spirit, that we can pray for that person. Put a quickening in our heart of some family that we can call and pray with them and talk to them. Quicken us, Holy Spirit, in our hearts that we might get along next to a person and say, I'm with you. And help us, Lord, as a church to be committed to fellowship. Interlocking ourselves that we can stand any kind of outside pressure that the world throws at us. Give us the strength. Thank you, Lord, that as we've seen this morning through fellowship, caring and loving one another, helping one another. Help us, Lord God, to do it with your strength. And as you have blessed us, help us to be a blessing. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, friends. Thank you. Thanks, Sam.